Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, all you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all the places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. We started uh, last week a, a new series, uh, Summer in the Psalms. And it's a little bit different, you know, I think maybe for the first time in the history of this church, we're at a phase in our church's history where, where we have four teaching elders on staff. Um, uh, with the ordination of Ransom just recently, and of course Ben. Ransom, by the way, is in Japan right now with a team of young people on a missions trip. And uh, Ben, uh, our outreach uh, director, and myself and Jonathan, our associate pastor. And so uh, I said, you know, for this summer, let's do something a little bit different. We have a lot of things going on behind the scenes. And uh, in order to continue to develop, especially Ben and Ransom and their preaching uh, skills as we hope to uh, inevitably send them out as either church planners or pastoring their own churches. They need pulpit time. Uh, let's go to the book of Psalms. Rather than doing a book like we did last year, I preached the book of Ecclesiastes last year during the summertime. Uh, let's just pick our favorite Psalms. And so, you know, Ransom being Ransom because he and Ben are so on task um, he got immediately to the spreadsheet and he claimed Psalm 23. He beat us to it, right? And so he started us off last week and uh, now I'm going to continue it. And why the, why the book of Psalms? You know, Martin Luther said that the, the book of Psalms, uh, he called it the little Bible. Uh, because if you could only have one book of the Bible, um, it needed to be the book of Psalms because in it you had all of the truth of the Bible contained. It's all there. Uh, the doctrine, the, the attributes of God, the gospel itself, it's all right there. And, and not even, not even more than that, um, wh whoever you are, wherever you are this morning, you'll find yourself in the Psalms. Um, are, you, are you happy? Are you sad? Are you anxious? Um, are you worrying this morning? Are, are you uh, depressed, discouraged? Are you doubting? Are you in love? Are you hopeful? 
you know, sadly, are, are you suicidal? Um, no, no matter where you find yourself this morning, you'll find yourself in the Psalms. Uh, I, this week, I was, uh, I was reading through the diary of John Newton. If you don't recognize that name, uh, he, was, he lived during the 1700s. Uh, he was raised in a, in a somewhat of a Christian home. It was really his mother, but she died when he was very young. His dad was a, a sea captain uh, in England, and uh, so he went to sea at a young age. He ultimately uh, went into the Navy, the British Navy. He was impressed into the Navy. He deserted, became a sea captain himself, ultimately became a slave trader. And he was known as a slave trader. He was a wicked, wicked, wicked man. Um, but one uh, evening in a horrible storm, uh, as he thought he was going to lose his life, he ended up turning back to the God of his childhood, and he gave his life to Christ. And he ends up becoming a pastor, a very influential pastor, especially in the, the latter half of the 18th century, from 1750 on. Uh, you know him because you've sung his most famous hymn, uh, Amazing Grace. He, he penned Amazing Grace. He penned dozens of hymns. He was well known for his hymn writing. And uh, he kept a diary for decades, almost from the point of conversion, he kept a diary through the decades all the way up to his death. And uh, as I read through it uh, this week, it was just fascinating reading, but I came across this one passage that, I, that, that just really struck me and it spoke to me. It was on a Saturday night before in 18, or 1755, before he was to preach on a Sunday morning. And this is what he said. He said, besides these instances, and what he was referring to here were, were things in his life that are normally good, but yet he managed to turn into something that was uh, an opportunity to sin because uh, he abused those good things. He said, besides these instances, I must complain of vain thoughts, cold prayers, and a contracted worldly heart in all my duties. Sometimes more, sometimes less prevalent, but always sufficient to convince me how wretched I must be if left to work out my own salvation or to be tried by the test of my best performances. I know not how it is with others, but surely the slightest review of my own experience must extort my confession that I am a perverse and unprofitable servant. Do you get what he's saying here? He's saying, in, in modern English, when I look at my life, I have to admit, I am a hot mess. I am completely worthless, unusable by God. You ever felt like that way, Christian? I am a perverse and unprofitable servant. Now, I, I so understand what John Newton was feeling, that despondency that he was going through on that Saturday evening. For me, sometimes it's on a Friday when I'm in my study preparing my sermon, and I'm thinking, Lord, I have no business. What are you doing? I have no business coming before a church. For most pastors, it hits them on Monday morning. It's the Monday morning blues and depression. That's why I don't take Monday morning off. I learned a long time I can't do it. Because most pastors, when they look at their own life in light 
of the sermon they just preached the weekend before, they have situational depression on Mondays. And some, for some of them, it, de- it evolves into full-blown depression. I understand exactly what he was referring to. Very familiar with that type of spiritual despondency. And that's why Psalm 103 is absolutely my favorite psalm. It's been my go-to psalm since I was 18 years old and really got serious about living for Christ. I've come to it, I think, literally thousands of times. When I'm not in a good place spiritually, this is the psalm I run to. When I'm in a good place spiritually, I come back to it on a regular basis. I've read it so often that I have memorized it, paraphrased it, put it into my own language, and it works its way into my prayers and into my journaling and into my language. And I believe every one of us in here this evening or this morning needs to understand it, need to marinate in it. Why would I say this? Well, for one thing, this psalm is a very different type of Davidic psalm. King David wrote approximately half the psalms, depending on who you ask, 73, maybe 75 of the 150 psalms. King David, of course, was the great king of of Israel through whom Jesus Christ would descend. Uh, He was the shepherd king. Uh, Many of his psalms were songs of praise that he composed as a young man when he was a shepherd out on the hillside in praise of God and his glory as he looked at creation. Psalms are poems. Now, they're not, you know, uh, Mary had a little lamb rhyming type of poems in our form. They're Hebrew type of poems where parallelism and, and according to Hebrew structures, but they're poems. And these poems are oftentimes were prayers, maybe, of David or They were songs of David, and they cover all kinds of occasions. Most of them, frankly, were occasions of deep joy or deep anxiety. And they are poems that, or prayers or songs that he composed out of those types of situations. And so many of his prayers are to God, or his psalms are to God. They're laments because of the tribulation and the trials and the things that he's facing in life. And he's crying out to God out of the agony of his soul. But this psalm is different. In this psalm, it's like he pulls back the curtain and we hear him talking not to God as much as he's talking to himself. And what's he saying to himself? Well, look at, look at verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. He's, he's exhorting himself to worship God, to literally speak excellent words about God. And so the question is, is why does he feel compelled to exhort himself to worship God passionately, to say good things about God. What's the problem? Why is he having to stir this up? Well, the answer is in verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not. Underline that phrase. Forget not all his benefits. Uh, Catherine and I, next weekend, will have been married for 29 years. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, 
she can tell you something, and she is going to absolutely agree with this next statement. It is a natural aspect about our lives that we gravitate towards forgetfulness. Go ahead, babe. Say amen. There you go. This poor woman for 29 years has had to put up with instance after instance after instance of my forgetfulness. Call Jerry, would you bring home some milk? Sure, babe, I'll bring it home. I mean, I would be in the car just a minute from the grocery store, get home. Jerry, where's the milk? Ah, oh, I forgot, you know? And it's just been that way. She deserves sainthood because of my forgetfulness. It's just a reality of life that we naturally gravitate towards forgetfulness. And, 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 and no, even if you are young and you don't have this problem yet, guess what happens? As you get older and your body begins to decline and the gray matter begins to get a little mushier, it'll start happening to you. Amen, older folks? That's right. We naturally gravitate towards forgetfulness. You see it in our natural world, in our natural life, but guess what, folks? It's also true in the spiritual realm, and spiritual forgetfulness affects all of us regardless of our age. Because of sin, even those of us who have trusted in Christ, we've been redeemed even after salvation, we will continually struggle with spiritual forgetfulness. You know, David uses a double negative here, forget not. So positively stated, David is saying that his great need, in these two verses, his great need is to worship God passionately with all of his inner being, with all that he is and all of his heart, he needs to be worshiping God. But to do that, he must remember the grace and the goodness that God has poured out on him. That's stating it positively. He must remember and not forget all of his benefits. That's the key. But what does he mean by remember? To forget not, to remember his benefits. Let's state it positively. To remember the benefits of God. What does he mean? Well, let's, do a, let's do a little experiment this morning, to, a group experiment to help illustrate it. Okay, here's what I want you to do, and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna answer this to the person sitting next to you, okay? I want you to think of something, a food, a drink, something that you maybe put into your mouth that you know, you know you should not put this thing into your mouth because of what it will do to you. In some way or another, later on, you're going to regret having put this substance into your mouth, whatever it may be, and I want you to think about what that is right now, and you know, nine out of 10 times, you will not do it. Maybe it's only seven out of 10 times for some of you slackers, but those of you who are you know, not like me, nine out of 10 times, you won't do it, but one out of 10 you will, and when you do, you regret it, okay? What is that substance? I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them what it is, okay, real quick, okay? All right. We all have it, don't we? We all have it. I heard someone down here say sugar. How many of y'all said sugar? Yeah, several of you. 
How many of y'all said something spicy? Raise your hand. Yes, yeah, several said something spicy. Uh, you know, uh, one of our ladies last night said, if I eat a brownie at supper after seven o'clock, I'm up till six o'clock the next morning. You know, but every now and then that brownie at the restaurant just looks so good, she can't resist it, even though she knows it's going to keep her up, right? You understand? You know where I'm going there, right? We all do it. Okay, second question. How many of you think of that one thing that it doesn't matter how many times it's put in front of you, there is no way on God's green earth that you will ever, ever, ever put that substance in your mouth again. Do you have something like that? All right, tell the person next to you what that is. All right. Just wondering if anybody said squid. Anybody say squid? All right. I would be curious to know what your answers are, but I'm not going to go there. Uh, for me, for me, I have not eaten beans and franks, beanies and weenies, we called them, for 47 years. Because when I was five years old, I was the ring bearer at a wedding, and I ate some beans and weenies before, and I got food poisoning. Yeah. Y'all remember those Godzilla movies where the Godzilla would open his mouth and whoosh, would come out? Yeah, you get the mental picture, okay? And, and I was so traumatized by beans and weenies that to this day, if I, if I even see the can, I have a visceral reaction and I turn away from it. I have not eaten beans and franks for 47 years, okay? That's what the Bible means when it says, remember, remember, to forget not. In other words, it is so tied to your innards, to the inner part of your being, to your soul, to your heart, that when it comes before you, it drives your behavior, your response, your attitude, your actions. And, and so what the point here that he's getting at in, in this passage, is in, in light, what he's saying is in light to the extent that we remember the goodness, the grace of God, worship just pours out. It's, we're driven to worship. It, it's inflamed in our hearts, and it just becomes a natural action and response to the extent that we remember the goodness of God, to the extent that we remember the gospel and what Christ has done. We experience joy. We experience spiritual growth. When, when we're faced with sinful temptation, it's, it's no, and we go the other way because there's this, this knitting of our soul to the gospel. You, you see this clearly how it relates to our spiritual growth and remembering and forgetting and how it affects us in 2 Peter. In 2 Peter chapter 1, he, Peter says this, For this very reason, make every reason, every effort 
to add to your faith. And now he begins to list like spiritual fruit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. I mean, this, what is this a portrait of? This is a portrait of somebody who is growing in their spiritual walk, who is maturing in their relationship with God, and he's saying, grow in this way and add these qualities to your life, and notice what he says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. In other words, like that language that, uh, that, he, uh, that, that John Newton had, that unprofitable servant. He goes, no, this will keep you from being an unprofitable servant. But notice how he ends this passage. But if anyone does not have them, why do you not have these things in your life? He is nearsighted and blind and has, what's the next word? What's the next word, church? forgotten. And what have you forgotten? That you have been cleansed from his past sins. In other words, the reason why these qualities are not growing in your life is because you have forgotten the core component of the gospel. So to the extent that we remember the gospel, we experience joy and victory and restoration. Why, why do we forget? Why don't we remember? It's because our inherent sinfulness. We, folks, we have been radically, radically broken and corrupted by sin. And our inherent sinfulness, as Romans 1 teaches us, we delight in suppressing the goodness of God in our lives, and we seek at any opportunity we can to elevate ourselves this is the natural tendency of the human condition. And the only thing that stops that occurring in our life is the work of the Holy Spirit and the gospel in our lives. But even as a Christian, there is a natural desire to suppress God and elevate self. And we will struggle with this desire really all the way until God takes us home to glory. That's why we forget. You know, as I was reading through Newton's diary, um, after I left the 1750s, I got up into the 1760s and 70s, uh, he entered a phase of his life where he became friends with a, a famous poet and another songwriter in England, a man by the name of William Cooper, whose name I had been mispronouncing for 30 some odd years until last night, Paxson taught me the right way to say it. His name is spelled C-O-W-P-E-R, so I had been pronouncing it how? Exactly, Cowper. But the British who gave us our English language do not follow the normal rules of their own phonetic vocabulary, and it's pronounced Cooper, apparently, and he's right. Hazel's not here for me to gigger on that. Eric, would you do that for me, please? Okay, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, William Cooper, you're, you're familiar with him too, just like you are John Newton. Fill in the blank. Variety is a spice of life. Yeah. 
Um, he came up with that expression. He was a great poet, uh, influenced William Wordsworth, Samuel Taylor Coleridge, other types of poets like this. Um, God moves in a mysterious way. And that little phrase and the way it's come into our, it, it, that was the source of a hymn that he wrote, a famous hymn. Many of us grew up singing a hymn, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. That's a William Cooper hymn. But the thing about William Cooper was he, he suffered with severe depression. Uh, it got so bad that he tried to commit suicide numerous times. He was admitted into an insane asylum for several years. Uh, he, he was befriended by John Newton, and John Newton walked with him through many of the years of his darkest depression and through his suicidal tendencies. And, uh, and even during a time when Cooper believed that he had sinned his way out of God's grace and that he was going to go to hell, and it was, it was inevitable. And, and, and he, was a, he was a deeply troubled man, and, and Newton did not give up on William Cooper and he ministered to him, and he helped him through these dark years. And they, they collaborated. They wrote hymns together. And, and, and it was just a, a wonderful story of friendship and how ministry can be very difficult and messy and that you don't give up on people who are broken because of sin and how sin affects our bodies and our chemistry, our brain chemistries and everything else. But as I was reading this diary and this story, and I was immersed in, in what he was saying about Cooper, it was interesting how in the middle of all of these different entries about William Cooper, a sentence popped up out of nowhere. Just one sentence popped up. It was easy to, to pass over. I had to go back and catch it and, it. and it basically said this. It was just one simple sentence. The temptation returned today. And it was temptation with a capital T. The temptation returned today. And then much, much later, the temptation came back today. Capital T, temptation. And, and all through his diary, Newton would talk about his sin. And, and I read you a quote earlier about the coldness of his heart. But there was something, and he called it the temptation with a capital T. He doesn't go into details. He doesn't put it all out there for us to know what it was. But you know what? He doesn't have to. Because anyone who's been a Christian for any length of time understands exactly what he was getting at. There was something in his life, because most of us have something in our life that we struggle with time and time again, and we fall, and we struggle, and we fall, and it bedevils us. It's that besetting sin that it just seems like no matter what, it comes back, and you'll have stretches of victory, and then bam, out of nowhere. And, and it's different from one person to another how do we remember the gospel when our temptation with a capital T comes along and we experience defeat instead of victory? How can we remember the gospel so that we do experience victory instead of defeat? And maybe a more important question is, how do we remember the gospel so that when we have fallen again, once again, that we get back up and we don't see ourselves as an unprofitable servant that can't be used by God, but that can rise from defeat to press on. How can we remember in that way the gospel? You know, what I want you to see about Psalm 103 is this. This year, we brought before you a journal 
a community Bible reading. Many of you are using this. And, and our community Bible reading, on it's taking us through the Bible over about two years. And, you know, each day on the left side of the page, there's a way to walk us through our prayer time. But on the, on the right side of the page, it's just blank lines. And it's where we have the opportunity to journal our interaction with God's words and write down our prayers to God and, and the truth that we're getting from God's words. I want you to understand that Psalm 103, in a lot of ways, could be like a CBR entry for David. Uh, we're getting a glimpse into David's personal worship time, and there's some observations from it that we need to take away this morning. First of all, David recognized that the issue and all of what was going on here was his heart right? The issue wasn't outside of him. He didn't blame other people for what he was struggling with. He went right to the source of the issue, his heart. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the Lord, all that is within me. And at the end, verse 22, he comes back to it. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He understood that it was his heart that needed to be revived. It was his heart that needed to be inflamed. It was his heart that had been distracted and was bent in some way that had grown lukewarm or cold or had followed some other path from where it needed to be. It was his heart that needed to be touched. Folks, for us to remember the gospel in such a way that in our time of need, we don't fall before the temptation with the capital T. It starts, everything starts by recognizing the issues are us and our heart. The issues in our marriages, the issues in our relationships, the issues with our problems with sin, etc. You go on down the line. It starts with us. It's our heart. Secondly, Notice that David brought a God-centered theology to his heart. After verse 2, you could essentially put a colon, right? After he talks about, bless the soul, all, bless the soul, all, excuse me. See, I'm stuttering because of Paxson's change in, in, in wardrobe there. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, all is within me, right? And, 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 and after verse 2, put a colon. And if he were doing his journal, he might, he might have bullet pointed who, 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 right? Who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like you? What is he doing? He is enumerating God and he's focusing on God and God's grace alone because it is God who can address and fix the things that are going on in his heart. When the issues are heart issues, no offense to all the wonderfully trained professionals in our world, but pop psychology will not fix it. Only God can fix the issues that are of the heart. 
And so David recognizes that he's the blessed recipient of God's grace and mercy. And so he moves through these verses, and as he's moving through them, he's bringing the truth of God's Word and the truth of his theology and the doctrines of God's Word, and they're building upon themselves. And as you process through these verses, you begin to see it rolling and growing in its intensity, and he continues to enumerate it, and he brings out God's grace and and his mercy, and his forgiveness, and his steadfast love, and his sovereignty over all of creation. And it just continues to build and build into this crescendo, so that finally, by around verse 17, he departs from a very personal, private prayer where he's talking to himself, and he can't talk to himself anymore. And he begins to talk and address the angels and the heavens, and all of creation, and it's no longer bless the Lord, O my soul. It's angels bless the Lord. Spiritual beings bless the Lord. Creation bless the Lord because He is so incredible. And it builds to that climax. And so David recognized that the issue was his heart, and then secondly, he brought a God-centered theology to bear on his heart to address the issues, and then Finally, and I don't want you to miss this because it's the critical point in it all to remember the gospel in your time of need. David did not engage in just some sterile Bible study where he was, you know, tracing through the Bible doctrines of the Bible. No, what David did is he took the truth of God's word and he pounded it into his soul. This is not a, a timid sit back and I'm just going to read my Bible and say a little prayer for my needs of the day. This is a passionate, intense meditation on the truth of God's Word and then taking that, God, that truth of God's Word and preaching it to the core of the heart and so, folks, for us to remember the gospel in our time of need, there has to develop in our life this practice of consistently preaching the gospel to our hearts in times of personal worship. Personal worship is not a routine where we just sit and read and say a quick prayer for our, our pancreas and our aunt's kidney and, and moving on. No, it is a time of where we are meditating and we're contemplating the glory of God, the benefits of grace and the gospel, and we're grappling with it, and we're praying over it, and maybe we're singing it into our heart by taking songs that Paxson brings to us, or we're listening to it through sermons that through people, of God, man of God who are around our country, and, and we're bringing it all in, and we're continually bringing it to our hearts. But what you have here is a very intense time of David praying and meditating and preaching the truth of the gospel into his heart. At times, as I've, as I've read this psalm in my own time of need, I've walked away. I've walked away with the very clear impression that David was essentially arguing with himself. In other words, 
what he is doing is what the New Testament talks about. He is taking captive the thoughts that were discouraging him, that were holding him back, that were turning him in a different direction. And he's taking captives those thoughts by bringing to bear the truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel. And folks, taking captive those thoughts, those whispers from the enemy that bring about that discouragement, that despondency, that is not light, easy, spiritual exercise. That is an intense spiritual discipline and effort of prayer and preaching the gospel to yourself. Listen to what he says. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding. He's, he's bringing the very words of God from Exodus 34 to his heart. He's quoting God's word back to himself. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. What perfect verses for someone who is struggling with temptation with a capital T. Can't help but believe that this is what's going on in David's life. And he's turning back to this time, and he's bringing to his heart the truth of the gospel. What beautiful truth that God, because of Jesus Christ, has when we come into the family of God through Christ, He has taken every single one of our sins and He has removed them as far as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more. He remembers them no more, people. Does that mean that God has all of a sudden developed, you know, Alzheimer's? Mental, no, God can't forget anything. Remember those two examples? In both of those examples, you intellectually knew something, right? Right, church? You intellectually knew you shouldn't put something into your mouth. But one of them affected your attitude, your behavior, your actions, right? But in both of them, intellectually, you knew something. Listen, God doesn't forget anything doesn't forget it intellectually, but he doesn't remember our sins. In other words, it does not affect his outlook on us anymore. Our sins no longer bring wrath and judgment. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He has forgotten our sins. He remembers them no more. They are as far as the east is from the west. He cannot see them in that perspective. Amen. Amen. And so when you fell, he remembers it no more. It does not affect his love. He is the father who is compassionate. Even when he chides, 
and disciplines, as A.W. Tozer says, he does it with the eyes and the smile of a loving father and eyes that are filled with pity and compassion, not the scowl and the frown of an angry tyrant. That's our God. And here's David bringing this to his heart. And to the extent that we remember this gospel truth, we will begin to experience, as Peter says, spiritual growth. It gets knit to our soul. And when the temptations of life come along, there's that visceral reaction. No! No, I don't want that. Because when I was five years old, man, <laughs> no, because of God and what Jesus has done. Look at how he loves us. No. You know, Tim Keller brings out something. He says reminding ourselves that God loves us isn't quite enough. That's not really what knits it to our souls. See, the gospel's a real story, a true story of what that love cost. And so a, a, a reminding ourselves that God loves us without reminding ourselves of what that love cost is only half the story of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and that son climbed on a cross. And right before he dies, and our Heavenly Father puts all of our sins upon His shoulders. He turns His face to His Father, the Lord Jesus does, and He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In modern English, my God, my God, why have you what? Forgotten me. You see, folks, the reason why God can take our sins and separate them as far as the east is from the west and remember them no more is because on that day, God forgot His only begotten Son. Because on that day, God remembered that He chose us before the foundations of the world and determined that He would set His love upon us. And the only way He could remember us and love us in that way was to forget His own dearly beloved Son. Preaching that truth to ourselves regularly, meditating on it, singing it into our hearts through songs and hymns and psalms, and eating at it every day, this truth. It helps us understand it and begin to remember the gospel in our time of need. So this morning, let me ask you, this week, what did you struggle with? Today, this morning, when you walked in here this morning, what are you struggling with? Was it anxiety and worry? Well, then preach the gospel into your heart that He is the sovereign Lord that loved you before He ever created the world and He called you out of the, the mass of humanity and He set it all up so that your sins would be paid for through His Son. He called you to faith at an appointed time and He brought you into the kingdom of God and He says, no man will stretch, snatch you out of my hand. That 
is how in control of everything he is in your life. And he's been in control like that before this universe ever came into being. What do you have to be worried about? What do you have to be anxious about? Did you sin this week thinking that this job, this thing, this person, this comfort, this toy will bring me significance? Preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel into your heart that your worth is in who you are. You are a child of the king. You are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. There is no other thing in this world that can bring more significance than your identity in Jesus Christ. You can have all the money in the world, or you can go bankrupt. Doesn't affect it one single bit. How about this week? Did you give in to your temptation? The temptation with a capital T. Oh, man. How many times through the years have I come back to Psalm 103 because of my temptation with a capital T? Preach this gospel into your heart. That all your sins have been forgiven. On your very best day, God doesn't love you one iota more. And on your very worst day, God does not love you one iota less. There is no way that he will ever turn his back on you because your sins have been separated as far as the east is from the west, as high as the heavens are above the earth. So high and great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. For he knows my frame. He remembers that I'm a six-foot, six-inch pile of dust. Amen. Lord Jesus, help us. Give us the grace we need in our, to preach this gospel into our souls, into our hearts. Holy Spirit, teach us. This is not natural to us. It is natural for us to forget. Lord Jesus, forgive us for preaching this gospel to ourselves only in our time of need. Maybe every now and then, and no wonder we forget. Help us to develop the, the consistent practice of doing it throughout the day consistently so that it becomes second nature for us to, to just soak in the truth, the beautiful truth of your word and of the good news that you've died for us and you've made things right between us and God and given us every spiritual blessing. Lord Jesus, work in our hearts, creating us in a new spirit and a new heart, O oh God. For your glory and for our good, I ask these things. Amen.